right, if you can turn first Peter chapter one. Here's hoping that I don't need to use one of my last recolas for the course of my sermon. I made the comment in the back of the car yesterday as we were heading to Mesa that uh you know, hopefully there's just one more week of this uh cough in my body. And uh, they laughed at me. So we'll see how long it takes. All right. Picking up, just like last week, we're going to read a little more than the actual text so that we have some of the context of what's going on here. So we're going to read uh, 3 through 9, even though we're only, I'm only preaching on 6 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ." Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Jesus, we are your sheep the ones for whom you laid down your life, the ones for whom you took it back up again. We are your sheep who have heard your voice and who follow you. This morning we ask that you would tend to your sheep. Feed us and guide us by your word. And this we ask because you have loved us and love us still. Amen. <coughs> uh, this was a great week in that I got to talk to two of my best friends on the phone. So uh, that was good. And when I was talking with one of them on the phone, he asked the question, So Steve, how are you? And I said, Well, you know, Chris... It's been a weird time, a discouraging time. And so we talked a little bit about that. And, and what has been weird for me or discouraging for me in the last six months or so is discovering the number of old friends who have walked away from Jesus. Uh, friends who simply seem at this point to be 
disinterested in going to church. Uh, maybe they say, maybe they would say, if I if I press them more deeply, that they they don't they haven't rejected Christianity, but they're not engaged in their faith. They're not in a worshiping community. They're not walking with Jesus. And there are some who have come out of the closet. One of whom who left his wife and children to do this. Because the temptations never went away. And that's hard for me. Because I love these people. And because I want what's best for them. And this points us to the reality that uh, for all of us, we don't know what the next 10, 20, or 30 years will mean in the life of the person sitting next to you or in the aisle in front or behind you in this church. You don't know. And the words sung by the now late John Wetton of Asia, only time will tell. That's the hard thing. And it's with that that I kind of think through this passage of First Peter because I think that's part of what he's addressing here. What is genuine faith? A phrase he uses, essentially, in this text. What are the marks of real faith? Because we know from the parable of the sower that there are some who receive the word with joy, but soon the troubles of this life choke out the life. Now, as I speak of these things, I I want to be clear. How we hear this matters. And if you you, uh, doubt that kind of statement about the the subjectivity of the listener, then I think all I have to do is point to what's going on in our political discourse right now, where a lot of things are said that I think are grossly mistake, you know, misinterpreted. This is not meant, I think, to be heard as a command, but because of the self-righteousness of our hearts, the pharisaical nature of our hearts. We have this tendency to twist some things that aren't commands into commands. So please don't hear most of what I'm saying as commands. This is really intended to be Peter's observation and assessment about their response to the objective truths of the gospel. Okay? And so while I'll sneak a couple commands in there, uh, most of this is really a description of what saving faith looks like within a community. And so well, my big idea this morning is that faith that matters loves and rejoices in Christ So let's start with genuine faith rejoices in Christ and in his benefits. Verses 3 through 5, the first part of this very complex sentence that Peter has penned that uh, mirrors Paul's complex uh, 
sentence in Ephesians chapter 1 focuses on God's commitment or devotion in giving us Christ and its and his benefits. It 3 through 5 really focus on the objective reality of the gospel, what God has has done for us in his beloved son so that we not only are welcome in his presence but that he graces us with so much that's what three through five are about. But here in six through nine, he moves to how they have responded to these great truths. And so we see the nature of faith, which is our response of devotion to the one who is devoted to us. And so Peter shifts from the objective reality of salvation to the subjective experience of salvation. You can't have the second without the first. But you shouldn't have the first without the second. You can intellectually know about the objective realities of salvation, but if you do not have the subjective experience by faith, then you're not saved. Okay? That's really kind of what I'm getting at here. And so, Peter starts this, uh, what, what thankfully the ESV and other translations have broken up into sentences, in this you rejoice. Meaning, all that stuff that he just talked about, that living hope that he just talked about, that they have been born again into, that living hope, they rejoice in that. And so, genuine faith bare minimum, rejoices in what it receives. Because what it receives is a good, beautiful, glorious thing. So it rejoices. And there's a, there's a present and a future aspect to this joy. Uh, usually a person, when they first come to faith in Jesus Christ, there is that initial joy because they experience the freedom that comes with pardon. And, and there's joy. And so there's a present aspect to it. But there's also a future aspect to it. Because we, remember, there's an inheritance that's coming. And so we're also intended to rejoice at that which we do not have yet, but we have been promised and we know will come because it's been sealed in the blood of Jesus as the guarantee. I'm sorry, I'm getting excited. And so genuine faith rejoices in what it already has and what will already come because we have Jesus. We see this in places like Luke chapter 1 when Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. And every Christian is able to say that because we know of our humble estate as sinners who ran away from God and broke His law and found delight in things that He hates. And then He had mercy upon us and made us alive. And so our soul is made to rejoice because God has in fact saved us. 
saw a recent quote by Tim Keller that we are not to add anything to Jesus Christ as a requirement for being happy. Now, isn't that a challenging statement? Because so often, that is exactly what we do, right? I will be happy if... I'll be happy if I have a newer car. I'll be happy if I have a spouse. I'll be happier if I have a better spouse. I'll be happier. <laughs> That's not me. I'm just saying what people think. I'll be happier if I have a better house. I'll be happier if I have more obedient children. Uh, we could go on and on and on. But our happiness is to be found in Christ and Christ alone. Because He alone is the one who has secured eternal life for us and will secure us into the enjoyment of that eternal life as we already spoke. Peter continues that this joy exists though they, and by extension we, may have been grieved by various trials. And so this, this rejoicing exists even though there is a sense of grief. A sense of lamentation, meaning it doesn't mean that Christians just walk around all day like this. We can be joyful even as we are grieved by various trials. And it's because our joy is not rooted in our circumstances. It's rooted in who Jesus is and what He has done for us and for our salvation. And so, um, really, I think meditation on Christ and His benefits is what produces the joy within our hearts. And so, while I'm not going to command you like Paul did in Philippians to rejoice in the Lord, I will say, meditate upon Jesus and His benefits that you may have joy. Why do I say it that way? Two movies, or groups of movies, whatever. The Lord of the Rings, for instance. Frodo and Sam are going to the mountain to destroy the ring, and they're being sorely tempted and, and grieved by their circumstances, and they have to put up with Smeagol slash Gollum, by the way. And what do they keep doing? They keep remembering the Shire. They keep remembering the place they love, the place that they want to protect, because if they don't destroy that ring, the evil will consume the place they love and the people they love, and so they have to keep going on. They remember the place they love. I was rewatching, you know, they've had Saving Private Ryan on TV a bit lately, and I keep catching different parts of it. And I, I love that movie, even as I hate that movie, in a sense, because the weight of sin. But there's a number of past parts of that film. It doesn't happen just once, but this is formulaic for, for war films, if you watch them. And that is, the soldiers, in, the, in a quiet moment, in the midst of this conflict, will inevitably turn their minds towards home, the place, and the people they love. 
And so it sort of culminates with Private Ryan as Captain Miller sits with him and he tells stories about his now deceased brothers. We go to that which we love to sustain us in the midst of our trials and what we should be going to because we love is Jesus. And so meditating upon Him in our times of trial is similar to what we see in those films. This connection is even clearer in verse 8. You believe in Him and rejoice with joy, Peter says, even though you haven't seen Him. Even though you don't see Him now. Okay, we're going to get back to that again. But I want to bring up this notion of they believe, it's right there, you believe in him, and essentially because you believe in him, you rejoice. Unlike Peter, as I said, (coughs) they never saw Jesus. Unlike Peter, they still don't see Jesus but they do believe or entrust themselves to Him. And he says that there is a time that this joy is unspeakable or it's beyond words. Today is Super Bowl Sunday. Two years ago, I sat in that chair at the Boyer's house. It's the chair I usually teach community group from when we're at their house. And I sat there going, oh no, it's happening again. It's like when they play the Giants and these freak plays happen and the other team wins in the last second and I'm almost expecting the worst. And then Wilson throws the ball and Malcolm Butler jumps in front of the player grabs it, intercepts it in the end zone, takes it out of the end zone and drops down to preserve a victory. And what happened? Pastor Steve shot up out of that chair and I went running and I was so happy. I went to the other room and I just couldn't contain myself. I'm just, yes, 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 yes. I'm hoping for a repeat tonight. Okay? So if you go to the Boyer's Ignore me. Um, (laughs) I had joy that was inexpressible. And I I experienced that as well when the Red Sox won in 2004. I fell fell on the floor and wept. It's been 86 years. That's the kind of joy Peter's talking about. That overwhelms you and overcomes you. So sometimes you can't even speak it because it is so profound and it is so life-changing and meaningful for you. And it's more than a game. Far, far more than a game. Sometimes we discount the role of joy within the Christian experience, but I want to point you to two places in Romans Romans 14, verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, which some of us will be doing later on today, but of righteousness, peace, and misery in the Holy Spirit. No. 
joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is defined by three things by Paul in, in Romans. And one of those is joy. It is just as important as righteousness and peace. Joy in the Holy Spirit. It's so important that one chapter later, Paul prays for the people, the Christians in Rome, and he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So again, tie the, tying the, the, the joy with the believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So joy is a mark of the kingdom. Not only that, but we see in Galatians chapter 5, it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, as well as Paul's prayer through faith for Christians. And so what is your relationship, not with money today, but what is your relationship with joy? Where do you seek your joy? Where do you find your joy? Where do you avoid your joy? One of the things I think about <clears throat> and, and getting our joy from the wrong places and shifting it to the right places, okay, it's, it's similar, I guess, to the book that may or may not ever be published um, <laughs> that I've written, but that reality of integrating your story into God's story. We can tend to isolate our lives from the great story of the scriptures of you know creation and fall and redemption and glorification we need to remember that our story is a part of that story so that we're no longer the main character in our story but Jesus is the main character in our story and we're just part of the supporting cast and when we do that it re it changes our expectations and so it's not about my kingdom, it's about His kingdom. If it's about His kingdom, I can have joy even though things in my kingdom kind of be stinky. Patriots lose tonight, I shouldn't be weeping for a week. It's just a football game. But if it's about my kingdom, guess what will happen? I'll weep for a week. And so it's remembering that my story is just one of the smaller stories in the greater story. And it's a reflection of that story. And Jesus is really the main character, not Steve Cavallero or any of you. So, genuine faith rejoices when it beholds Christ and all that He did and continues to do to save us. So, genuine faith rejoices. Genuine faith is proven and precious. Now, because remember, I've already mentioned the parable of the sower. There were some who received it with joy, but didn't bear the fruit it was supposed to bear. And so joy is not the only signature expression of genuine faith. There can be people who have false faith and still have some joy for a limited period of time. Let's go back to those trials. Peter says, if necessary, you have been grieved. 
by various trials. And so he's telling them, and, and he's also by extension telling us that our trials are not accidental, but they come to us through the hands of a heavenly Father who has a purpose for them in our lives, even if we don't understand the purpose of each particular trial. There is a purpose for them, even if we don't understand that purpose for each particular trial. He, in other words, as our Father in heaven, exercises His infinite wisdom to discover the best way for each and every one of us to grow individually as a family and as a congregation. There's a song that we could have sung today. It's on one of the Indelible Grace albums, and it's, I Ask the Lord. And it starts, I ask the Lord that I might grow. And the song's about how God answered that prayer by giving them trials. That's not the way we want to grow. If my children asked me to help them grow, and I said, do your schoolwork, they generally aren't excited about that. Okay? That seems to be a trial, a grievous trial to them. But it is essential to their growth as people, as Christians. So I want us to remember as we think about this that our Father in heaven is committed to our long-term growth. Face it, folks. You and I, we are committed to our short-term pleasure. Okay? Let's not pretend. We're like children. We want the short-term pleasure. We don't really want the long-term growth. What's really good for us in the long term. But just as a good parent um, says no to his children upon occasion for their long-term benefit, so the father sometimes says no to us for our long-term good. What is the good that is in in, uh, view here? So that the tested genuineness of your faith. And so these trials come to test the genuineness or to prove the genuineness of faith. Whether it's real or not, counterfeit or not. Now, God already knows the genuineness of your faith. It's not a, not a mystery to Him, but it's a mystery to you. And it's a mystery to those who love you. Because while you, like my friends, may look like a Christian one day, in ten years, only time will tell. And so these tests come to prove the genuineness of our faith. How does he test us? One is hardship. Do you want to see if someone's going to be a great piano player one day? Well, the hardship of practice. 
of goofing up on that note for the 14th time until it finally clicks in your motor memory. Sometimes it's tasks. Think of Abraham in Genesis 22 when God says to him, take your son, your only son, and go to the mountain and sacrifice him to me. This happened, it, claim, it says, in, 20, in verse 1 of chapter 22, the Lord tested Abraham to see. So sometimes God gives us a really hard job that we really don't want to do to test us, to see, to show us how much we do or do not love Him. Not only that, but we see, if for instance, temptation. In Deuteronomy, as well as in Judges chapter 2, we see that the nations were left as thorns in their sides, okay, to, to test Israel to see whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. I mentioned Frodo and Sam. Part of the great trial upon their souls was the fact that they had the ring of power. And the ring of power was continually tempting them to use it for their own aggrandizement. Who wouldn't want the power of that ring? And so it became heavier and heavier as they got closer to the mountain for its destruction. The trial became greater as they went on instead of getting lesser as they went on. And sometimes that's what faith looks feels like for us. Sometimes, as we see in Deuteronomy 8 as well, prosperity can be a test. Will we remember the Lord or forget the Lord when we have everything we need? And so, not only do they uh, test us, but these trials, Peter mentions, also purify us. Genuine faith is purified through trials, just like he mentions gold is purified by fire. You, you heat up the gold, and it melts, and all the gunky stuff, the dross, comes to the surface, and you scrape it off, and you have purer and purer gold. And that's really what he's getting at. And, and, and why would you want to purify gold? Well, because gold is a precious metal, and so the purer it is, the more valuable it is. And he says that your faith is more precious than gold. So that's why God continues to purify it. Because it's, if you're going to purify a precious but perishable metal, how much more should we want to see our faith, which is precious in the sight of God, purified and made clean? And so trials remove the dross of our faith. I read a story about a man who um, lived through the Armenian, not Armenian, Armenian genocide. You know, the country of Armenia, right by Turkey. At the, at the beginning of the 20th century, the Ottoman Empire, the Greek, uh, sorry, the Turkish Empire, <coughs> 
which uh, got destroyed in World War I. But before that great day, they sent out their soldiers to destroy the Armenian, Armenian Christians. And this man, for instance, uh, remembers being in a church with the people praying for the protection from the persecution that was taking place. And the Ottoman soldiers came in and killed everybody. And he only lived because an uncle grabbed him and was able to get through a door and head to the hills. But instead of seeing that as God preserved me, he saw that as God failed him. Unbelief interprets the providences of God in a very different way than faith interprets the providences of God. And that, through trial, sometimes means that some are revealed to have a faulty or counterfeit faith. It's important for us to know that these trials will come. For instance, Acts 14 the, the, you know, Paul went back through strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. We see as well James 1, a similar statement here, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So we see a number of places that discuss the necessity of trials to produce character within our lives. This faith, as I said, more precious than gold. Sometimes we need a uh, um, priority adjustment, and this is one of those verses that can give us that. But gold perishes. Gold is contrasted with that living hope that we saw earlier in this text. This living hope, this inheritance that is imperishable. And so salvation is more valuable than all the gold in Fort Knox. Faith is precious to God because, like any father, he delights in being trusted. How does God reveal that this is precious? in part because it will result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a testing that takes place. And it's, it's unclear to us whether this praise, glory, and honor is to Jesus who has preserved us or if it is to us who have genuine faith. And in the context, it seems to be us who have genuine faith. Meaning that the Father, and essentially this is Peter's version of Jesus' statement, well done, good and faithful servant. When Jesus is revealed. John Calvin notes, for trials as to us are full of reproach and shame, and they become glorious in Christ. But that glory in Christ is not yet plainly seen, for the day of consolation is yet to come. So it awaits that day. 
And so there's praise for Jesus, but there's also praise for us. I sort of envy my brother who has already gone home. Even though the day of revelation has not come yet and he's not received his glorified body, uh, we heard many ways in which Rowdy was a good and faithful servant to the one who had redeemed him. So genuine faith brings everlasting joy because it is proven as true and precious to God. So we've got rejoices, genuine faith rejoices, genuine faith is is proven and uh, precious. Thirdly, genuine faith loves Jesus. How does it relate to Christ? Not just joy, but you love Him. Now note the interesting parallel that takes place here in verse 8. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy. There's the parallelism that takes place in there. And so, the, the love, I think, is connected to the believing. We could, in a sense, insert that. Because you believe in Him, you love Him. Genuine faith loves Christ who has first loved Him. Loves Christ who has sacrificed everything for him or her. A few days ago, I read in the newspaper, well, online, versions of newspapers. There was a woman who was at the Boston Marathon (coughs) when the bombs went off. And she was injured. And she lost one of her legs below the knee. And there's nothing you can do <laughs> when your, lo- your leg has been blown off and you're lying there on the sidewalk and you're in shock. You need someone to rescue you. And indeed, a fireman came along and rescued her. And as it would turn out, a few days ago, they got engaged. He rescued her life and won her heart. And He gave His heart. And that is how it is meant to be with us in Jesus. He has rescued us because He loves us. How can we not give Him our hearts and love Him back? That's why Jesus says in John 8, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. And we could insert, for you. Faith does not despise this reality of our dependence, but rather embraces our dependence because faith is the opposite of pride. Because it willingly receives. And pride does not receive anything but glory and honor because pride says, I'm worthy of that. But pride does not receive help. 
but faith does. Faith actually forsakes all of the crutches, a.k.a. idols, that we use instead of relying upon Jesus until such point as God reveals them to us. And so, um, love should not surprise us or them to, to say, you haven't seen Him, but you love Him, precisely because the goal of salvation has always been to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength. It's always been moving, pulling us in this direction so that we will love Him who has loved us. And He wants all of our love. He wants a wholehearted response to His wholehearted love given to us. And so, to be incredibly brief, love is expressed in part in in two ways. One of them is worship. Because love wants to be in the presence of the beloved. I hate it when I'm away. I, I hate it when Amy's away. And I hate talking on the phone with Amy because I want to be with Amy. Because I love my wife. And I want to be able to say words to her like, I love you. I want to be able to give her kisses. I want to be able to give her hugs to tangibly express my love to her. And that's my love language. So, you know, um, that's what I want to do so that she knows. Okay? And in worship, it's as if we're giving or offering up Kisses and kind words to Him. Because He has been so amazingly kind to us. Secondly, love is expressed for the Christian in obedience. If you love Me, you will keep My commands. Precisely because faith recognizes that love is expressed in that command. And I could say something about Amy's love language, which is service, meaning she wants me to serve her. (laughs) I hate that. I want to show shower her with hugs and kisses, not vacuuming. (laughs) But if she wants to feel loved. I got a vacuum, baby. Once in a while, anyway. <laughs> Once in a while, I'll clean up the, the weeds that she's pulled and all of that. To love Christ includes a desire to obey Him. That's genuine faith. All right. The visible church lives in this tension, okay? We don't know who in this room is actually elect. There's no E on the forehead. Uh, We don't know who is regenerate. There's no R hiding somewhere on their body. Okay? We interact with other people who profess faith in Christ 
Some of them are actually just cultural Christians. They grew up in the church, and that's what they do. I go to church? Why? I grew up in the church. And there are some who think they love Jesus, but time will show that they love something else more than Jesus. Peter recognizes this reality because remember, he had a friend whose name was Judas, who was a disciple of Jesus and betrayed Him. So Peter understands this. That there are people who can look like Christians and they can fade away. and Sometimes they can run away. So we see here that Peter helps us understand that genuine faith rejoices in Christ and His benefits more than it rejoices in and Super Bowl victories, or anything else that the world has to offer. Genuine faith is proven and precious because it connects us to the imperishable inheritance that is found only in Jesus Himself. And these tests reveal who's really trusting in God. Genuine faith loves Christ who first loved them and gave Himself for them as a husband gives his life for his wife. Let's pray. Father, while there are uh, no commands in this text of, of Peter, we recognize that like Paul, it calls us to examine ourselves. Help us to examine ourselves with mercy not looking for perfection, but looking for direction. Help us to examine ourselves with discernment on the part of the Spirit. Help us, Father, by holding us fast and making us stand while these afflictions are seeking to knock us down. Father, help us to grow in joy and love even as we are tested because we recognize what's really precious and that is Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.